Hello and welcome to Bring the Mustard. We're back. We've had a little hiatus, but the boys are back in the studio. And today we're going to talk on the show about the Ashes, the first two tests. We're going to talk about the Mick Fanning incident at Jay Bay, the Tour de France, the EPL transfers. Geez, there's a few floating in. Liverpool going on a spending spree, and Raws is very happy about that. We'll also talk about the British Open, uh, and we'll get through some of the AFL and NRL news as we always do. But a big welcome to Roars and JL. How are you going, boys? Lenny, you going well, mate? Yeah, very well, boys. Excited to be in our third studio at the moment. So we're, <laughs> we're in a bit of a makeshift home, but uh, hopefully the quality uh, is still good. Very good. And Roars, what have you been doing the last couple of weeks? Why haven't we been recording this podcast? Well, I've been around, mate. You boys have been training a bit harder than me, so I've yeah, had plenty of been time. Avoiding... I've been avoiding as best as I can. Um, Although I think I'll be back into it next week full-time with you boys. Yeah, I've pretty much been stuck in the fetal position for the last two weeks and uh, every time Copes has been talking to me about podcasting, I tend to just uh, duck my head. So, uh, But very excited to be back into it today. Very good. All right, let's get straight into it. We'll talk about the Ashes. The England first test win was a bit of a shock in terms of... Roz shaking your head. Roz, so let's just talk through this. Roz is trying to access some info on his phone, and he must be on a prepaid <laughs> setup here because his phone no is, is not working. I'm out of cash, I'm out of credit. Oh, dear me. Uh, so England winning by 100. I've got a personal hotspot I can use. <laughs> England winning by 169 runs at Swalek Stadium in Wales. Uh, in Cardiff in Wales and and England put on that performance it was really convincing they came out and they played an aggressive style of cricket an aggressive brand of cricket with the Australians having their moments in in amongst uh, what was a pretty comprehensive victory for England now there wasn't too many shining lights for Australia Uh, I guess the first innings Chris Rogers 95 was was a standout but a lot of guys you know Smith 33 Clark 38 Voges 31 Watson 30 Haddon 22 uh, Rose talk us through when you see a batting order and there's a lot of scores between 20 and 50 uh, that Australian dressing room would have been really disappointed with that first effort yeah I think so you obviously want a couple of those to be turned into 70s plus and and if not over 100 um, I think that's definitely what's put him behind the eight ball in that first test along with there was a there was a chance or two early on Joe Root and he went on to make a big hundred and and that's probably the difference that he's made the big score uh, and our boys could only get through sort of um, 20 to 40. Yeah credit to Mitchell Stark who took five for 114 in the first innings and then in the second innings uh, was able to take two for 60 so a good game for him all the bowlers chipping in with wickets and We'll talk about the second test in a minute, JL, but happy with how the Aussies bowled in that first test? Uh, not. Oh, I don't think anyone was particularly thrilled uh, with how the Aussies bowled in the first test. I'm trying to tread on eggshells a little bit here, but for me, just the whole the whole test just looked a little bit like Australia had whacked the West Indies and then played two um, knockovers in the tour matches as well. So Australia, we spoke for you know a couple of podcasts in a row about how good a nick they were in. Um, to be fair, they weren't playing solid opposition. And I think looking at those scores that you just spoke about, a lot of batters in the middle order, bowlers struggling to apply pressure, I think that it's just a step up in quality of test cricket. And um, the boys quickly sort of got back on the horse, I guess, and got back into that real clinical part of test cricket um, and turned it around in the second test. So just needed a really good hit out, I think, against some good opposition, and it's got them into a, a good space. Absolutely, and that's a beautiful segue into the second test uh, which was at Lords, and Australia have a really good record there, but 
you don't an win unbelievable test, record. Yeah, yeah. With, you, but you don't win test matches in foreign. We had, we'd only won one out of the last fifteen test matches in England prior to that match. Wow. So uh, no matter how good your record is at Lords, when that's your record in the last fifteen matches, you got to turn it around somehow. But a comprehensive win, four hundred and five runs to the Aussies, but it was that first innings. What about Stephen Smith and Chris Rogers? Chris Rogers, one hundred and seventy-three. Steve Smith, two hundred and fifteen. How good was that partnership? Yeah, fantastic to see Steve Smith do that, especially under the, after the pressure had been heaped on him um, from from the opposition, saying that they they thought they'd have his number batting at three, that he wasn't um, wasn't going to be good enough to do it, and for him to come out and do that, and then look like he was uh, taking the absolute piss in the second innings as well, <laughs> was, was fantastic to watch. And what Chris, about that shot down the fine leg? Yeah, they yeah. took the fine leg out, so he just walked a meter outside off stump. <laughs> Flicked it down there. But that's the talent we that we know he has, and we've we've been lucky enough to play with him for quite a while now, and, and see some of that sort of stuff. And it's great that the rest of the Australian and, and the international public are getting to see it too. I think he, he's averaging near on sixty now in thirty tests, so that's up there with um, with some of the, the great players of yeah. all time in in terms of numbers after thirty tests. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just talk a little bit <laughs> about some unfortunate circumstances surrounding Brad Haddon and his family. We wish him all the best. Uh, it's obviously not a tough time for him, but one of the great things that came out of that, and, and any time someone gets injured or misses a test, is an opportunity for someone else. And one of our great mates, Peter Neville, stepped in and made his debut, getting that baggy green at Lords from Steve War, and then going through and winning the test match. There can't have been too many better feelings, you know, this year for Australian sports people. Yeah, I don't think you can write it much better than that for Nevy, and I think he holds the record for the most catches on debut as well and I think the shortest time it took to get a test dismissal was two balls I think he got one off Starkey so um, a fantastic opportunity for him unfortunately seeing him get interviewed over the last few days he's pretty much written himself out of the next test <laughs> almost a certainty that Brad's back in if you if you ask Nevy but he did a great job and we know but that's what Nevy's like isn't exactly, he? he's such yeah. a humble man and all he wants to do is just create a good environment yeah. for the team he's and a, just chip a, in he's a realist um, and he's not going to you know think that it's his spot or anything like that he's said he, he said he was had his back up and he backed up in that game and did a fantastic job and if it's you know his job now to go back and support Hads as the number two he's going to do that so. and looked at 100% at home with the bat as well uh, you know second ball or third ball squeeze one down to third man <laughs> off a spinner but after that was really at home and flicking the ball on the leg side to the off spinner mowing alley but as we know that he can do I think what we take out of this is that without doubt he's put to bed the question of who is the best person to back up Brad Haddon I think he did a fantastic job with the gloves in tough conditions in England where the ball moves a lot after the bat uh, but also with the bat he looked right at home yep. still claiming half volleys though I don't know if you boys saw that <laughs> what about that <laughs> uh, as a, as a very stiff there as yeah. two keepers in this room yeah. uh, we, we both know Brawls well you haven't <laughs> kept in a game have you uh, but it, they're one of the, the ones that, and the ones that we dive forward, you, do, you really don't know, do you? You're no, just taking it and you feel it coming. straight in too. Yeah. Yeah, just scraped along the, along the turf, unfortunately. But um, yeah, as you said, very assured with the gloves and he looked more than at home with the bat. He was doing it quite easily. And and I suppose you could say at the time he came in, it was... Uh, they were pretty the, cooked. Yeah, pretty <laughs> cooked. But, but he did what he had to. And I think people need to know when he does come in that he's not going to be the same sort of player as a Hads or a Gilchrist and really tear attacks apart. But he, he can go to run a ball 
just knocking around like he did, just knock him on the head down to third man and and whip through mid-wicket and that sort of thing, and he's a really clever player. I think he could actually add a lot to that batting unit, given that the batters that are in know that he's going to provide them with a lot of balls. Yeah, yeah. He's going to bat and bat and bat and, and chew up a lot of time. Uh, and all the batters in that top order, if they get themselves in, they know Nevy's going to stay. And Hads does the same, but in an aggressive nature. Mm. Um, and I think Nevy could be perfect <clears throat> for that role. I hate this word, but it probably it sums him up perfectly. He's a busy, busy player yeah. as, a, as a batsman. But um, I... I think that's just his intent. It, intent to score, intent to rotate the strike is the best way for him to um, stay out there. And he, he bats beautifully with the tail, as we saw you know, on a, probably half a dozen occasions this year. He's very good batting with the tail, so um, that's going to be a, a great spot for him at seven if he gets the opportunity again. Yeah, double 100 for New South Wales this season and also averaged over 75 with a bat in first-class cricket this year. So certainly, uh, well... I guess well stated to be taking that role at number seven for the Australians. One person who did step in and, and do a pretty good job with the ball, uh, maybe more so than with the bat, was Mitch Marsh, who came in to play that all-rounder role, replacing Shane Watson. It was a tough call for the Aussie selectors. But what, what were our thoughts initially on that selection, but also how Mitch acquitted himself in that game? Well, he'd definitely been knocking down the door with some of the performances that he'd had recently in tour matches and, and that sort of thing. and. Um, the selectors made the tough choice and, and left Watto out. And in the end, it looks like a, a great call. Mitch came in and, and did really well. Um, so eight, said, overs, eight overs, two for 23 first innings. And in the second innings, uh, three overs, one for eight. So three, three wickets for about 30 runs in the test match. Yeah, which is fantastic performance from your fourth seamer. Yep. Exactly what you want. And um, I'm sure that that's going to give him a lot of confidence going forward into the into the next test and and beyond he's a great young talent and yeah. hopefully he can show what what we've all seen playing against him um seeing him whiz past me at point and cover i'm <laughs> sure we'll see a fair bit of that for australia in the next few years and just probably the last talking point on this test match chris rogers in the second innings needing to retire uh, with a bit of dizziness um, he was down on his knees uh, in a drink or at the end of an over calling for a drink. Davey Warner gave it the shakes to the to the grandstand to call out Alex Contouris. But he said the grandstand was shaking and moving and Davey was like, come on, mate. No, it's not. Certainly wasn't <laughs> from your stroke play, was it? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, Roars, when, you, when you're not being able to even stand there without the grandstand moving, how, you know, difficult to pick up a ball that's coming down at 150 clicks. Well, he made it look pretty easy, didn't he? That was <laughs> well, on, on two and he made 49 <laughs> before he came off, so... But yeah, exactly right. It's hard enough without all that stuff going on. The the fact that he got through those uh, that extra time out there was um, shows you what sort of a player he is and what sort of nick he's in at the moment. Do you think lingering lingering effects maybe from the concussion in the West Indies, or is this an isolated event? Well, I think it's got to have something to do with it. Being hit again in the in the f- first innings must have. Um, I reckon every time you do get concussed, it's a, it's a little bit worse every time, and I, I, I suppose it doesn't take as much to get you um, to that point again. And it was funny that he didn't feel the effects at the time. It was two days later, so that's that's a bit concerning. And everything, uh, it was good that the scans have come back um, clear, which is the good news. Just hopefully he can get over those symptoms and and continue to play because he's doing a fantastic job. No worries, and we'll talk a bit, little bit about the third test preview in our cricket wrap this week. Uh, coming up at Edge Baston. We've got a tour game before that game as well. So the Aussies looking in good shape for that test match. Uh, and, it, gee, it's going to be a good series locked at one all after two tests, three three tests to go. Uh, let's touch on one of the massive events in, in world sport this week and, and something that really caught my eye about, uh, you know, 
how dangerous sport is in general, but this is something that you don't really see too much of, uh, given that how often these guys are in the water, and that is Mick Fanning. Shark attack. This was some of the most compelling viewing and scary viewing uh, this week. And, uh, I mean, boys, what, was your, what were your initial thoughts when you saw it uh, and the reaction afterwards that, that overflowed the emotion from the country, basically saying how how brave Mick Fanning was not only to get through the incident but to think on his feet and punch the shark uh, but also Julian Wilson to, to just basically lose all his inhibitions and get over there and try and help him as quick as possible. I don't think you, we we can't possibly get a real idea of how, how bad it was just watching it on TV and how I guess how lucky it was that you know the worst possible situation didn't occur. Um, it looks surreal. Jesus Christ, the fin looked huge. Like it was yeah. comfortably taller than him coming out of the water. Um, they were saying that it was possibly about a three meter long great white shark. Um, you could see the um, the surprise on Mick Fanning's eyes and he, he spoke that he was lucky that it got caught up in his ripcord. So it sort of must have given him a little bit of notice you know, it might have only been a foot or two, but a little bit of notice that something was close by, and you know that might have been the difference between um, life and death. We, I don't know. We don't know if the shark the shark took a, a snap or anything at him. It might have just been poking around to see what it was. It's got the leash, I think. Got a, so, yeah. oh yeah, because I, I saw him pulling out at the end of the when he was coming back on the. And road. the tail yeah. then when he sort of looked, it went back under, yeah. and the tail then came over and knocked him off yeah, his board. Yeah, knocked him off his board, which is, you know, I would. You know, we're just talking before we came on about why they went to the wide people asking why they went to the wide shot and didn't stay on it well that's exactly why we saw the tail knock him off his board and then once you're in the water you know you're anyone you know anything can happen so um incredibly lucky julian wilson the, the it was his first instinct was to go over and try and help his mate um which is absolutely incredible we all like to think that if it was us in that same situation that we do that but you just don't know till you're under the pump and we saw how um, you know how sh- in shock he was afterwards. Um, Mick Fanning looked like he was fine, and then I think it settled in a little bit later. How shocking everything was, and he quickly jumped on a on a plane home. But um, fantastic to see him okay, and definitely you know one of the worst things we could have seen on TV had it gone awry. Yeah, thankfully it didn't. There was a there was a quite a funny tweet that came out after it saying that the the dogs this weekend have signed him up for one game because they they got the sharks. So uh, we'll Great. see if that occurs. Uh, Roars, let's move on. Let's talk about Tour de France resident guru, the uh, Alpe d'Huez. It's coming up, mate. It's coming up. I told you I'd tell you when it's coming up. It's It's on Saturday night. But Um, let's just discuss the leader, Chris Froome. Yeah. Ridiculous how good he is. And and it looks like he's he's doing this at a canter. Yeah, a bit like me running around Centennial later. I'll just be be sauntering around. You blokes will be, be doing all the hard work. But... Yeah, he is doing it easily. He's got a three-minute break on uh, Quintana now. Um, looks like it's going to be too much, although there's there are three out session uh, out stages left to go. So anything could happen in terms of a crash, or, or hopefully it doesn't for him. But um, that sort of thing has been quite a regular occurrence in this tour. Uh, there was another one of the contenders pulled out last night, uh, TJ Van Garderen from the US. So anything can happen, but I think three minutes would be too much for Quintana to make up. And he races for Team Sky, is that right, yep. Chris Froome? And That's right. They, yesterday, uh, there was questions about how easy he was doing it and, and you know how the power output could possibly be what the, the rats are registering. Yeah. Um, and Team Sky actually responded by publish, publishing that data. It was the first mm. time a team had actually done that. Uh, I think good on them and good on 
Chris Froome for letting that happen. Uh, and they've urged the whole cycling body and Tour de France to make everyone's data published. Uh, so this sort of, there's always that question now because of the Lance Armstrongs and, and everyone, the Contador, everything that is associated with the Tour de France in particular, but cycling in general, the question is always there, geez, that guy's got skinny legs, but he's pumping out ridiculous times going up the Alps and, and stuff. You know, it, it's just a, normal, a natural question. And hopefully this stuff can start to put it to bed as long as these guys are, are off drugs. Yeah, well, let's hope that they allow that information to be um, throughout the public from now on. That'd be great to, to see, to see how us battlers are going down on our, oh, our walk bikes and what yeah. we're pumping out compared <laughs> to the, these blokes. So, But as you said, everything, everyone is who does it this easy as Froome's gonna, is doing it at the moment is going to be under serious scrutiny about drugs and that's uh, a fact of the sport and it's nothing that's going to be able to be changed in, in the next couple of years. It's going to take a long time for that public perception to, to move on. And what about Aussies, Roars? Question without notice. Yeah. Any, any of the Aussies going all right? Uh, not really. They're, um, <laughs> they're, they're chasing for stage wins now. They're, there's no one. Richie Port's with Team Sky as well, so he rides a lot for Froome. He, um, he helps him get up these mountain stages and, and does a lot of work and burns himself out for that. Uh, I read an article yesterday saying he doesn't feel like he's been appreciated by them as much. So I think we mentioned it last time. He's going to look for a new team next year and, and he will be the number one if he goes to a new team and, and be challenging for that overall. So he's one to look at for the future. And just with Orica Greenedge, they, they lost quite a few in the first week or two. So um, a bit light on. Yeah, they are light on and, and they're just going to be chasing some stage wins now. Fair enough. All right, let's move on to the Open Championship, which just finished the other day. Zach Johnson winning uh, after a playoff, but the real story for me was the three Aussies that were in contention for most of this week, and also Jordan Spieth, who was going for the Grand Slam, was right in the hunt for the whole time. Roz, it went down to a playoff in the end, but your thoughts on the on the tournament as a whole, how the course played? It looked like when the when the wind and the rain came down, I think it was on day three, <laughs> yep. it looked torturous. Yeah, out, outstanding to watch. I thought after the first nine holes of round one, wow, they're going to shoot the absolute yeah. lights out here. There was a guy from Sweden. Sweden. Yeah. yeah, he was seven under through nine holes the front <laughs> of the first nine, and uh, could have shot. He only shot four over, I think, for that that uh, eighteen. But they were just making it look so easy on the outward nine there with the wind behind. Um, that changed a little days two and three when the wind started to get up, particularly in the afternoon. It got worse and worse and. We had that big, big 10-hour gap of um, wind and rain, so they had to push the, the finishing day back to the Monday. But overall, I thought, great watching because you had to be so tactical about where you put the ball, not only in the fairway, but on the greens to give yeah. yourself the, the best chance of two-putting. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the thing. Isn't it nice to see... I mean, when we play, you guys played a game of golf yesterday and, it, and putting on you know, Bonnie Doon is hard, but when you're putting at St Andrews, it just takes on a whole new meaning because these guys at a pros they know their stroke they know their tempo they know the pace of the greens but they were literally putting to avoid three putts at times it's so nice to see them at that level yeah. where they have to lower themselves down to saying okay I just don't want a three putt here yeah, yeah well, exactly make, right yeah, they're going for they're light, let, sorry they're leaving themselves eight and ten footers for, for par which is a you know, mentally it's got to be a little bit easier, a little bit harder than leaving yourselves eight or ten footers for, for birdie. So um, it's great to see them 
where they were trying to leave the ball, as Raw said, and then something after my round at Bonnie Doon yesterday, I might have to go and <laughs> have a little bit of a watch again, I think. Uh, and the playoff, uh, let's just discuss the, the playoff. It's a stroke play uh, over four holes. They play, I think, the, f- the first, the second, and the 15th and 16th, or the 17th and 18th. Not entirely sure, but it's a stroke play over four holes. And the winner after those four holes wins the tournament. If there is an equal uh, between the two players and they keep playing the 18th and I thought that was interesting in itself it's a strange way to, to run a playoff yeah there's all, all sorts of different ways that they do it um, across the different competitions and that's the way the British Open does it some I think the US Open has a full 18 US Open plays um, a full round again the day now. after so yeah, yeah it's, a, it's I suppose they can put their own slant on things and yeah, it seemed like an interesting way to do it unfortunately Leishman couldn't get over the line and even more unfortunately for my bank balance Oosthuizen couldn't get over the line either <laughs> Um, had a bit of a flurry on him? Yeah, had a little bit of a flurry before the tournament. He'd won previously at St Andrews, the Open, uh, three years, four years before that. Or it might have been five years before that. So, And he was in good form. He played quite well at the US Open, so I thought I might have a, a crack at him there. Fair enough. And and just talking about the Aussies, we had three in the top ten. Jason Day, uh, Adam Scott and Mark Leishman. Leishman's third day, I think it was, was just... Ridiculous. Yeah, I think eight under. seven, eight under he yeah. had for the for the round, which put him in contention, and he did quite well on that last day, as as you mentioned, to make it to into the playoff. Um, was probably unfortunate. He just missed a, a putt just about a ten footer for the outright win. So that was um, bad luck on his part, but it's good to see him doing well. And as we mentioned after the U.S. Open, there's so many Aussies competing now and and doing well and in contention at these um, majors that I don't think it'll be long before someone breaks through. Let's hope it's Jason Day. He's been so close now on, on so many occasions. Um, but the other guys are playing well too. Leishman, as we mentioned, Stephen Bowditch did really well. Matt Jones uh, and Cameron Smith in the US, we mentioned him as well. So there's quite a lot of guys playing some good golf. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's just move on a little bit here to the English Premier League and some of the transfers that have happened over the past couple of weeks. Roars, Liverpool. Jeez, they're making some moves. I'm excited, mate. I'm very excited. And not, not because of who we've signed, because of who we've let go. I'm very happy <laughs> to see the back of Raheem Sterling. Oh, are he, you? I am, yeah. He might he might well be a superstar of the future, but to me, he's a spoiled little brat and wow. showed that by the way he played last year for Liverpool. Um, so good riddance to him. He's got great feet, but he literally cannot hit the side of a barn door <laughs> when he gets in That's the 18-yard box. That's true. Um, so, yeah, I'm quite happy with the way Liverpool's looking at the moment. So this morning they sealed the deal for a $32.5 million transfer, Pound. pounds that is, yeah. uh, for Ben Teke, a striker from Aston Villa. Now, they've gone ahead and bought Danny Ings. They've bought Firmino on top of Lambert and Balotelli last year, and that is on top of Sturridge, who's probably their best striker. Good depth, isn't it? Who's playing? <laughs> who's going to sit on the bench? Well, Firmino plays out wide. He's not an out-and-out striker. Ings can play wide. He's a, he's a small... Can he? Yeah, he's small and quick. So, so you're just so saying he that he can... he does play out wide, he or just he can? He he's, can. Got, oh, he's, he's played as a striker for Burnley Sturridge can do that too. He's done that quite he a can. lot. He did that at Chelsea a lot. So it gives him a lot of options. They could play it two up front, play Benteke and Sturridge or Benteke and Ings. And I'm um, pretty sure Lambert probably is well down the pecking order now. I'd say he probably be, out the door soon. Yeah. I think they're looking to move him on. Um, and Balotelli, there's rumours of him potentially going out on loan somewhere as well. So um, it, it still does leave him with plenty of options there. 
And um, and I think you do, you do need it. If you're going to have a red-hot crack at making Champions League and, and winning the Cups and, and the Premier League, you, you've got to have a red-hot, uh, I guess, strike force that are going to take you well into the season. Even Chelsea struggled at times last year and had to lean on guys like Remy and Drogba. Uh, and they're, not, they're not bad guys to well, lean on just quietly. <laughs> and it's just lucky that they had them there. But yeah. uh, when Costa was struggling with those hammies, Man United, I'm, I'm really happy with how they're going in the transfer market for once. The Ray uh, Rices, eh? Yeah, yeah, the Ray Rices. Yeah. Oh, I actually disagree with you. Uh, <laughs> of course for, you do. for a change. Yeah. Uh, but... Uh, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger, uh, I think, you know, Louis van Gaal coached him at uh, Bayern Munich. Uh, the German captain is uh, a forceful midfielder and, and a guy that can play alongside Michael Carrick and another new man, Morgan Schneiderlin from Southampton, who I guess goes under the radar in terms of big signings, but uh, he's 20, a very good player, 20 yeah. plus million, he's a France international uh, and he can play in the hole behind the strikers or he can play deep-lying playmaker in midfield. So I'm excited about those two. Damian, the right-back, uh, to go along with, uh, I guess, Valencia and Raphael playing is that, there. Is that just Damien? Is that right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no? It's, it's D-A-R-M-I-A-N. Oh, okay. Literally Damian. Okay. Damian. Right. Mateo, I think, is his first name. Uh, but, Rawls, any other transfers that have taken your eye over the last little while? Uh, no, just the ones you've mentioned. There's, there are some rumours of Man United bringing in Pedro, the Spanish winger uh, from Barcelona. He's obviously behind a few there with um, the, the gun three that they've got up front. So he's looking for somewhere else to play that he's going to get some more game time. I don't know if that will occur at Man U unless they get rid of Di Maria, which would be unfortunate for, for all EPL fans if he, if he moves on. Um, and Thomas Moore is another one from... Bayern Munich that's uh, been talked about going to Manchester United as well so he'd be a good pickup uh, forward for the Red Devils yeah so there's talk also of Chelsea buying John Stones from Everton uh, what are your thoughts on him labelled the new John Terry yeah very young defender he's done did quite well last year for Everton um, and he would be uh, yeah, in, in demand from these uh, bigger sides just not only for the fact that he's a good defender but also for the quota system as well gives them an extra Englishman in there um, which would obviously help but I don't think Everton's um, going to be letting him go at a cheap price from what I've seen yeah absolutely the other one that I'm, I'm hearing is that uh, I'm reading here on Twitter that Arsenal have made initial contact over a transfer for Real Madrid forward Karim Benzema now that would be massive in terms of their list at the moment uh, I mean they've got a great side and they've got Welbeck and Giroud to play up front along with the likes of Ozil, Cazorla, Walcott, Ramsey, Wilshere to play in midfield. It's a serious squad. Yeah, it would be if they if they got in. There's been a few rumours about Benzema already. Manchester United, Liverpool have been linked with him. Um, but obviously they didn't they didn't come through. Uh, if it comes through for Arsenal, it'd be great to watch. With uh, And their side would be really up there challenging, I think, if they got someone of his quality on the, on the end of some of their midfielders. All right, let's discuss AFL and all the topics from the weekend that was. And I think some of the things that are coming up this weekend, JL, we were talking earlier about the great man Boomer Harvey. He's bringing up possibly 400 games this weekend if he if he gets a game. Uh, he played sub a couple of weeks yep. ago and uh, no, no doubt he'll play. But a great achievement from a man that's small in stature but obviously big in heart. God, he's a good player. As someone who's only started watching the AFL probably since he played 300-plus games, um, he's been the heart and soul of their side. They're sort of changing their identity a little bit this year. 
Um, he's sort of been more of an impact player for them as opposed to sort of a consistent star. But God, he's good. He, you know, he, he got put on the, he got given the vest, sorry, a couple of weeks ago and he came on and pretty much gave him a, a spark and I'd say was their best on ground the time he was on the ground. So, um, well, then he, after being sub last week, he had 34 touches. So exactly, um, yeah. Yeah, still got it. Exactly. Well, that's that's it. They're talking about him not going around again after the you know the the game that he was the sub for, and then last week he'd be one of their best over the last fortnight. So, and I well, think he said be- in his press conference talking about this 400th game that he wants to resign and he feels his body's good to go. So it'll be interesting to see if North Melbourne share that view uh, yep. and whether they do want him to usher that young breed, the Dumonts and the uh, Zebels and and that through that midfield. And he's, I think if he, he might be able to squeeze uh, into the most games ever played if he, uh, I'll have to double check, but he'd be pretty close. If he plays one more year, he'll go pretty close to the, the overall game. So um, good, on to the, good on to him, the little fella. Um, he's an absolute star. And I really you know, enjoy these good stories about the game. The AFL do it really well. been enjoying watching it on the news all week. Um, and I'll certainly be watching this weekend when, um, you know, when he gets to walk out there for his 400th with his, with his family. Yeah, absolutely. The The big news of the round was the grand final re, rematch, uh, given that it was the second time they've played this year. Uh, touchy subject in this room, given we've got a few Swans fans in here, but uh, what an absolutely clinical performance from Hawthorne. And JL, you said a couple of weeks ago that Hawthorne would be the barometer for a lot of teams in this next period. And we would also see if they were up to winning another premiership. I think, hands down, They've given a big fat yes to that question. Boys, how good are they to watch when they're on? Uh, to, to to Sydney's credit, somehow um, they didn't play particularly well the other night. The Hawks, you know, the Hawks were played as good as they could play and put the Swans under a lot of pressure. But I don't really think that game is a true reflection of the the closeness of these teams either. But you know, the Hawks put them to the sword when they had them under the pump. Um, I think you know Sydney had a little bit of comeback in them, but the Hawks put the foot back on the throat and won by. What is it, 89 points in the end. Uh, very clinical. A 1,000 goal kickers again for the Hawks. They're so hard to stop with so many guys kicking goals. Um, your mate Buddy came back and tore his vest and kicked, I think, three or four as well um, with that thing on his mouth. God love him. Um, no, Matt, the Hawks... I'm Hawks talking are, about Ruffy. Did I say Buddy? Oh, sorry. Wrong bloke. No, <laughs> Ruffy, uh, Ruffy. Ruffy kicked five. Ruffy kicked five um, with his mate there on his chin. Um, <laughs> Scratch across his back as yeah, well. Yeah, as well. That was... Um, a, Pretty disgraceful to be fair there mm. at Ainton Stadium, but no, Matt. The Hawks look really good. I think um, they've got an okay run home as well. the The biggest test for them will be West Coast in a fortnight's time, and for them, not it's going to be hard for them. They played so well. They're still six weeks out. So you hear teams talk about playing grand finals too early. This has been a really tough little period for them playing Freo and Sydney back to back. Um, they can't have it. I don't think they can afford to have another dip before they come into the finals, and then it'll be hard to find their way. So they've sort of got to keep this up for now until the end of the, you know, until the GF. I think they've really identified those two games. The last two weeks is ones they want to make a mark and stamp their authority on the on the premiership, and they've definitely done that with two fantastic performances against their top two challengers. So uh, they're the ones to chase at the moment, and I think if the Swans want to want to compete with them, they've they've really got to. Um, improve their efficiency it was horrible the other night you can't get away with that against most teams um, if you do it to, to Hawthorne they would tear you to shreds with the way they kick So yeah absolutely, what are, what are your thoughts on the mental scarring uh, in sport, how much does that play a, play a role in professional sport I mean in cricket 
when you go to a place where you've been thrashed a couple of times, does it play an impact? Uh, and, you know, the commentators on the weekend were very much aware and very much talking about the fact that the Swans have a mental issue when it comes to beating Hawthorne on the big occasions. I I look at it the other way. I don't think there's a mental issue for the side that's been beaten. I think there's a an extra confidence for the side that's done it. So Hawthorne walk out there against the Swans and they think, oh, we They're can just blow away, these yeah. blokes away. Which, and can I know, be, which can be dangerous as well. It can be, yeah. yeah. But I, I, from the from the side that's challenging, I don't think that that's a that you have that mental scarring from it. Yeah. So m- playing cricket wise, I you know a couple of years ago we got absolutely pantsed at the Wacker. Uh, Liam Davis scored three hundred. Adam Voges two hundred. Uh, Jay, you and I were in the bowling attack that day. <laughs> Every time I go to the Wacker, I don't think about that game. Uh, no. I mean, it, it might get yeah. brought up in conversation, but when I go to bowl, it does. Yeah, definitely gets brought up. But, especially but when you go year. there, you, you know, I'm not thinking with my first ball, geez, it's going to be a long day. No, I'm thinking yeah. it, I love bowling at the Wacker. No, I think it must be a little bit of a projection from maybe the media and the fans um, oh, to a degree. Like it's in the back of your mind, but once you know, once you're in the zone and ready to compete. All you think about a new day is it's another opportunity. Um, so when you're walking out, I could imagine if these two meet in the preliminary final of the GF, they're going to be, when the Swans walk out there to play them, they're going to think this is an opportunity for us to get into a grand final more than, you know, what you know what mountain have we got to overcome to get there. So um, that's the nature of professional sport. These guys are, you know, professional enough to be able to put this behind them. I might be in the back of their mind, but I, I, I don't think, you know, they're not going to be too stressed about it going to the game because the other thing they want to do is they'll, they'll want to turn it around more than what they want to think about it again so yeah. um, they'll definitely be on the front foot next time next time they meet uh, I, I don't know I don't know any of the Swans players I don't know anyone at the organisation but also playing out at ANZ Stadium I think it would have been uh, a different type of result even if Hawthorne um, had dominated here at the SCG it's probably more of their home ground here at the SCG so you might have seen a different performance from them as well Without uh, doubt, they got yeah. a shocking record at ANZ. Yeah, so that I think that comes into it as well. Um, and you know, S- Sydney beat them in a tight one on their home turf uh, early on in the year, so they're only one and one for the next time they meet. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to the first game of the round and let's discuss one of the great performances from a ruckman in recent times. Uh, oh. Raws is sitting in the corner in the fetal position because he doesn't have him in his supercoach side. But oh, McKernan. Uh, no, oh, great sorry. performances from the ruckman <laughs> of our time. I'm talking about the man that's in the contention for the Brownlow medal, and that is Todd Goldstein. 27 disposals, 56 hitouts, and a goal, and that was at all at 93% efficiency. This guy is changing the face of ruckman in the AFL, and the way he's playing at the moment is single-handedly keeping North in contests. Uh, not only is he getting up for the hitouts and beating most ruckmen and probably giving them nightmares for the rest of the season. But he's also playing a real role as a, as a, I guess, a focal point in that midfield, you know, in trying, and his kicking is so accurate that they can use him as a midfielder in trying to find a target down forward. So, Roz, I know, take your personal uh, pain away from the situation. Can this guy win the Brownlow medal? No, he can't. But he's the closest a Ruckman's been for a long time, and he will, and, unless something ridiculous happens to Fife and he um, hits someone high again and, and does get rubbed out, then no, he can't. So would you say that he's clear second? Oh, no. No. I not look, not I, look, I had a good look at the betting market last week, and that's always. I think that's always a really good indication of 
where they sit. And he was fifth or sixth on the betting. Sam Mitchell and Dan Hanbury, I think, were... Um, and maybe one other were, were I just a don't, clearer second. I don't think the umpires noticed Ruckman as much as the gun midfielder. I think what, it may, what these couple of performances may do is have people keep more of an eye on him so if anything it's going to it will help him yeah, fall from now, from now on I don't know if it if he would have done enough up until this point um, I'm looking I'm trying to look through at his next few games they've, they've got some good games coming up Brisbane, Melbourne uh, and there's one other that should Frio. be a winnable game for them oh, <laughs> no, sorry, Carlton I thought, as well so. I'm looking from, from the um, Brown though he's got to play oh. Stefan Martin and Aaron Sanderlands um before the end of the year, and and Rose's mate Dusty, so he's going to have three decent hitouts there as well. Um, so I, I'm a no to the Brownlow. Can they make the eight? Who's his mate Dusty? Do you mean of our marriage? Yeah, marriage. <laughs> I'm looking. I'm getting the blokes with the mullets confused. <laughs> Dusty marriage. Uh, uh, but yeah, as North Melbourne, I think they've got a decent run now, uh, and I think they can push into that eight. I, th- I actually think, JL, just on your point, that uh, sometimes the biggest votes come in the biggest contests and when they play against the big ruckmen like Sanderlands and Martin and Marich, that's when he dominates those people. You know, Yes, it's a tough contest for him, but if he dominates them, he's more likely to create votes for himself in the Brownlow process. Anyway, 93-68, to 68, that was for the win for North Melbourne. The next game on Saturday, the early game, was a close game in the end. 72 to 64, Geelong winning winning that one at Simon Stadium. The next game was a bit of an interesting one because the one G Ablett Jr. was everywhere. 94-79 it was to the GWS Giants up at Metricon Stadium, and it was really the last quarter where they kicked away. But what about the man that is without doubt the best player in the competition, <laughs> and he showed that in the last three weeks. Three goals. 30 disposals, 17 tackles, and all of that at 76% efficiency for an inside midfielder. That is absolutely phenomenal. He does. He looks like a guy that's only played four games this year, to be fair. You look he's at, fresh. Yeah, <laughs> Nat, fresh. Nat Fife looks like he's been carrying the weight of the word on his shoulders for 12 weeks. He's a bit battered and bruised, and he's playing that way. And um, Big Gaz, uh, he's certainly putting his foot down with those fresh legs. He's absolutely turning it on. As we as we talked about a few weeks ago, it's great to see him back out there and, and doing well. It's um, great for the competition and great for the for the pure AFL lover. Yeah, and just we must mention Callum Ward, who's been killing it for GWS all year. Two goals, thirty possessions, five tackles, and in Supercoach terms, he's an absolute jet as well. So Nick Malcheski starting to find some form. K Kolodashny, Kolodjasny, KK. Yeah, KK. I think he'll be a feature in most Supercoach teams over the next couple of years as well. Super left boot on him. All right, the next game of the round was a real classic, actually, at Eddie Had. Not so much in the score, but in terms of the importance of this match for the season and the context of these two teams, West Coast winning that one 87-56 over Collingwood. And it was, again, only in the last quarter where they really streaked away. But still side bottom was everywhere that night. Uh Kennedy kicking three goals. Let's just discuss that West Coast midfield, and they're often underrated. I mean, Prittis winning the Brownlow last year, still perennially underrated. Gaff, Maston, Rosa, uh, these guys are all class and have been for quite a while. And you throw in the likes of Dom Sheed, uh, Jamie Cripps, Elliot Yo, uh, the list goes on, Rawls. How do you find the West Coast? Where do they sit in the pecking order, and how big a win was that for them? 
Well, they've they've outdone what everyone thought they would do already. And and people were looking at that game against Collingwood to really see where they were sitting. They proved everyone wrong again, that they are uh, contenders. And we've known how good their forward line is. As you said, their midfield's been underrated. They've been... They've been racking up a lot of disposals, disposals after over the last mm. few years, uh, Gaff and Rosa and these blokes, but they're actually using it very well now, um, which is half the reason their forward line is doing so well. Um, you've got the likes of Darling and uh, Josh Kennedy and these blokes up there, Lacroix mm. to target, Cripps down below as well, uh, and these these blokes are actually hitting them now. So that's that's made the big difference for West Coast, I think. And. The one thing they have dealt with really well, I think, and it's a credit to their organisation and, and the structures that they play with, is they've had three key defenders go down this year. Uh, particularly Mitch Brown went down with an ACL or something of the like really early on. McGovern just went down with a hammy. Uh, they've seemingly been able to bring in a guy from the, the I think is the Waffle. The Waffle, yeah. Um, and, and their team over there, whoever they bring in, does a really good job. And uh, there's a young kid named Barras who is kind of come in this week from all reports, who's a really exciting prospect. He comes in, and Shannon Hearn is obviously the linchpin down back. So well done to the West Coast. Well, I think they've just their roles are clearly delineated, mm. which, which makes it that much easier for blokes coming in to know exactly what they've got to do, uh, where they've got to be, and what their job is. Um, it That's makes a it big almost. Word. Yeah. That was a big was word. Did I pronounce it correctly? I don't even know what it means. Delineated? Delineated? Yeah. Uh, defined? Oh, yeah. is, that a, is that what it means? I think so. That's how you used it, so I'm just assuming. That's what I use it for. It's beautiful. It's what what I'm just for. complimenting you on your word. Word of the day, calendar. A wordsmith. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, all right, let's move on to the, the next uh, game. Sorry, just on that, I think oh. I texted you guys on the weekend. I really like, um, I look like Collingwood were getting a little bit desperate pretty early on in the game that they didn't want to get blown off the park and were playing real rough and tumble footy. Um, and something that I noticed after watching West Coast blow teams off the park the previous few weeks is that they didn't like um, they're like a they're a really pretty clean side like Rawls was saying they, they're um, being a lot more efficient this year and a lot cleaner and as soon as a team was able to, to slow them down um, I think that really hurt them so I've got to keep a, a solid eye on that over the next few weeks and, and see if teams start to try to slow them down um, keep those possessions down get into more of a contested rough contest. them up a bit yeah rough them up a bit a few high shots um, and see how that goes. The one bloke who won't mind it is Prudis. Yeah, loves <laughs> the tough stuff. So he's got a smile on his face, the, the gollywog. All right, <laughs> let's move on. And the next game, we've already spoken about the Sydney Hawthorne game. That one was 146 to 57 in favour of the Hawks. The last game on Saturday was Fremantle against Carlton. 95 to 53 was the final state uh, final score at Domain Stadium. Now Nat Fife seemingly is in a bit of a, a, a rough patch. He's averaging four, I heard this morning, he's averaging four less disposals and his efficiency is below 40% in the last four weeks. Wow. Now, uh, this guy, he, he has, as you mentioned, JL, carried the, the weight of this team on his shoulders along with, probably along with Mundy and Neil uh, and, and Sanderlands. Rawls, can he turn it around? This guy is seemingly the class above uh, most of the players in the competition. Is he carrying a few corks? Is he, you know, he got a bad one from Sam Mitchell a couple of weeks ago. Uh, is he carrying a few injuries and a few niggles and just playing through it? Or is this a tiredness factor that's coming in? Yeah, I think it might be more than niggles. There might be a few little things going on with him. Um, he can definitely turn around, as we've seen uh, throughout the start of the year. He's a high-quality player. 
We're talking about a guy who still had 23 disposals on the weekend, 16 of which were contested, uh, eight clearances, a couple of inside 50s. Uh, he probably just didn't hit the scoreboard as much as he usually would. Um, so let me just clarify, we're talking about this is a bad game for him. Yes, not a bad, I, do, not, I do know that. That's, yeah. And that's we've got to put it in perspective. It's, yes, it's, I totally agree. It's uh, You'd love to have someone like him on, on your side. When you've got guys, as we've spoken about, Neil and Mundy, um, Stephen Hill and Barlow in the side as well, um, It just they've got blokes to cover it as well if he does have a down day on his usual standards, lofty yeah. standards. And, and they still got the win comfortably against Carlton, yeah. which wasn't unexpected. Uh, but a, a, a big win for them in the context of the season, given that, and they've got a couple of easy games coming up, uh, so they'll need to get through this next period unscathed injury-wise, and we know they, they're they prone to uh, resting a few players, so for Supercoach owners, this is, um, keep just, watch. This weekend, Saturday, 4.35pm against Richmond. Uh, Richmond were the team that stopped them on their run a couple of weeks ago, so that should be an absolute cracker as well. They're playing some good football. And they beat them over in the West, yeah. so now playing in Melbourne, that will, that will be a good contest. Oh, uh, dusty marriage for a <laughs> should be a cracker. Uh, the Sunday games, we had Melbourne beating Brisbane uh, in I guess they were favourites, uh, but with Rockliffe and Hanley back in the mix, uh, JL, you and I were talking on the Friday that we thought that might have been a bet to get on. But 60 to 36, that win to Melbourne. The showdown was the real emotionally driven game of the weekend. Obviously, the Phil Walsh uh, happenings of the week before. This was an emotionally charged game. Travis Boak late got, and probably Robbie Gray, uh, almost got poured over the line. Adelaide were almost standing still in that last. Seemingly that adrenaline had run out, the the energy had run out. But Adelaide getting home in that game, you could just see what it meant to those fans in that Adelaide Oval. I, I think that was one of the better sporting events I've watched in recent times. Uh, and the tributes after and the presentation, the way the guys spoke and having Phil Walsh's daughter there to mm. present the Phil Walsh medal, which used to be the showdown medal. Uh, an amazing... Uh, I guess the, the whole surroundings of that game and what it meant to everyone in there almost brought a tear to the eye. Yeah, well, it, it did for me. Um, just, yeah, thinking about some of the things that we've gone through the last couple of months as well, um, definitely brought a tear to my eye, but it, it was great for the Adelaide people. Um, I think they got out there as they usually do and supported a, a great sporting event, but more more supported Phil Walsh's life and, and celebrated that, which was the great thing to see. Thompson and Boak played really well. Um, Dangerfield was everywhere as well. Um, so it was a fantastic game to watch too. And, and for me, watching the game, the, the great thing about it was seeing the two chairmen there with a couple of minutes mm, to go, yeah. um, arms around each other, um, watching the end of the game. And, and the Port guy ended up losing, David Kosh. He, uh, but he was there... Like talking with the Adelaide chairman um, and I, I thought that was just a great touch um, towards the end of the game there. Very emotional Sunday afternoon for me. I, I found uh, the last game quite emotional as well with the Rewalt boys mm-hmm. um, too. So it was a quite a teary Sunday afternoon. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a beautiful segue into Maddie's match uh, as it's termed. And uh, Richmond getting home 89-73. to 73. Nick Rewalt obviously carrying a calf injury into that game was hobbled a few times throughout, but no doubt that meant a lot to him uh, and also Jack Rewalt in that fixture, but also the, those two organisations that, as you said, Rawls, it, it was an emotionally charged game as well, uh, fitting that those two games ran into each other. Um, and what a great advertisement for the sport. That 
I just think uh, even from the outside looking in at the moment, the NRL crowds of late have just been absolutely nowhere. You know, between mm-hmm. 10 mm-hmm. to 15, maybe 20 on a good day, 1,000 people. Yeah. The Adelaide Oval was absolutely packed out. And then we saw on Sunday afternoon, Etihad Stadium was absolutely chockers. And that was, um, I, th- I heard towards the end of the game that something like an average crowd, or the biggest crowd that had been at uh, Etihad Stadium for the last two years for an AFL game was in the mid-30s. And I think there were 40, 45 or 47,000, something like that there on Sunday. So um, the AFL really do turn out, um, you know, when the clubs ask them. And it was great, as you boys said, to, to see those two games go back to back and see how well, you know, you look. I look to the players in in these two games, and everyone held their heads really high. Um, and they spoke very well spoke, to yeah. the Rewell boys at the end. Um, yeah. Did a fantastic job the way they spoke. I, I thought. I don't think I could have done it. And and even Scott Thompson when he won the yeah, um, when that the was Phil Walsh yeah. medal was was very well spoken. And um, yeah, I thought it was a fantastic thing to see. And renowned for being one of the closest people to Phil Walsh as well. So the, the way he spoke and even Tex Walker. You know, Phil Walsh went out on a limb to give Tex that captaincy uh, and showed him that faith and, and really believed in him. So those two guys, the way they spoke, I thought it was really classy. All right, that wraps up the round. And the table as it sits at the moment, 15 games played for everyone. Uh, Fremantle on 52 points. West Coast on 48 in second position. Hawthorne and Sydney equal in third place on 44 points. Richmond in fifth place on 40 Western Bulldogs and GWS equal on 36, and rounding out the top eight, Adelaide on 34, with Collingwood, North Melbourne and Geelong all sitting just outside. So uh, it's going to get tough for these last few rounds. Uh, this weekend we've got, I'll just run through quickly a couple of the matchups: Hawthorne v Carlton on Friday night. Saturday we've got GWS v Geelong, Adelaide, Gold Coast. Richmond, Fremantle, as JL mentioned, will be a good game. Essendon, Port Adelaide. Brisbane versus North Melbourne. Western Bulldogs versus Collingwood. Melbourne and St Kilda. And then the last game of the round for me is the pick of the bunch. West Coast v Sydney at 4.40pm at Domain Stadium over in the West. So, boys, that clash could be a defining moment in either of those teams' seasons. Yeah, it could push Sydney potentially out of the top out of the top four which would be huge we know that you know how hard it is to to get results at the back end of the year if you don't finish inside that top four so um i think they'll they'll really steal themselves for this chat this challenge so um it'll be really interesting to see as i was speaking before about how how clean west coast like to play sydney's is a complete opposite so we don't know whether that game's going to be 50 to 60 or whether it's going to be 120 to 130 um but it, it will be great to see we know how how vocal the the wacker crowds are over in the in the west as well so it's going to be a brilliant match a cracking game i'm looking forward to gws geelong this weekend i think that's uh, got high relevance to the top eight as well GWS I wrote off a couple of weeks ago and they've gone back-to-back wins so it'll be good to see them get up again and really cement themselves in that top eight Uh, but Geelong really need that victory to stay in touch. Yeah absolutely let's just touch on a few of the injuries from the weekend. Small forward from Fremantle Hayden Ballantyne is an outside chance of returning for this year's final series after suffering a ruptured pec muscle 
uh, and that's an ugly one. Normally, in NRL terms, that means season over. So hopefully he can get back on the park. He's a bit of a linchpin for them mm. in that midfield, and one of those small guys to uh, you know really kick those crucial goals along with Walters up there and Maine, I guess, who had a good game on the weekend. Uh, Travis Cloak and Jeremy McGovern facing extended times on the sidelines, which will hurt both of those sides. Uh, Travis Cloak, Collingwood looked uh, at a loss on the weekend with only Jesse White really as a focal point. Uh, they had Jared Witts and Grundy floating up there as small uh, as talls as well. But tough times there. Kurt Tippett and Craig Bird both going to be unavailable for this weekend at least. Uh, and that's going to make things tough there. Collingwood uh, seemingly going to be without Jamie Elliott for another week. St Kilda captain Nick Rewalt is in doubt after he went through that game, carried it in there, that minor calf strain. So hopefully that doesn't keep him out for too long. JL, one of your love childs, Pierce Hanley, oh, might no. miss another two to three weeks with that hamstring, uh, and that's seemingly tagging him all year, that hamstring. Yeah, yep. it's, it's been tough on him. The other one that, that happened in the VFL, which was a tough one to take, Hawthorne's Alex Woodward, his career's in doubt after his fourth knee, uh, I guess it's an ACL, this one, but it seems an right anterior cruciate ligament it is, uh, and that's the fourth time in his career both knees have gone, so uh, that's a shame. Uh, the other ones, Corey Gregson and Kobe Stevens, Mitch Wallace also copping a knock in those games there. Tom Nichols had to be subbed out of the mm, Gold Coast game on the weekend. Zach Smith stepping up and having a good game. But other than that, uh, pretty minimal to come out of the weekend. And after the break, we'll come back with some Supercoach news. All right, welcome back from the break, and I'm sure you'll notice a bit of a difference in the voice, uh, the audio. We've changed studios again. A uh, bit of an echo going on here, but we'll push on. We're going to talk all things AFL Supercoach, and I'll start with you, Morton. Uh, to my right, these days, uh, the Morton's Mud Crabs. Score of 2,537 to follow up your 2,600 plus last week, and up into 1,950 overall career best form career best yeah I've hit a little purple patch I've had 5,000 points in the last two weeks and um, looking to keep climbing hopefully very good and what about uh, in terms of your team who brought the mustard amongst those huge scores my word there there were a couple of big ones last week Um, the one that stands out for me most of all was um, Maxi Gorn who's been unreal for me lately. <laughs> Maxie Gorn, I wish I got on that train. Yep, punched out another 105 and just, uh, we were, you and I were talking last week about whether to sell him, bring Robbie Gray into my forward line and then get on Tommy Rockcliffe. And I, I sort of backed Gorn to, to do, to go over further over his break even than, um, than Rocky was going to and he did. Punched out 105 and he's down with another 40 odd break even this week. So. Um, and besides that, obviously everyone else's um, bring the mustard this week was Toddy Goldstein. So um, the two ruckmen for my, for me. I reckon G Ablett might have brought some mustard for you there. Yeah, as G well. Ablett. Oh man, it's hard. Just <laughs> rattling through them all here. But um, I oh, I don't expect 189 from Gaz, but I also I do expect a bigger score from him. So it was nice in terms of the way that my team was shaping up that that Max could uh, bang out another score. Beautiful. And what about who left it at home? Who left it at home for me? Oh, just having a quick look here. Brody Smith continues to be an absolute uh, nightmare. Um, unfortunately, I I didn't really want to bring him in. Everyone else already had him, but the week that I was in, I wanted to get Robbie Gray in, um, and that was the only way I could get Gray in, and some sort of decent defender in was to get Gray and Brody Smith in the same week. Um, it's been an absolute nightmare since then. So uh, he left it at home for me this week, unfortunately. 
Very good. And what about uh, in terms of your trade targets for this week? Uh, we'll talk a little bit more on the most traded in and traded out players in a little while. Yep. But early thoughts, who's your rage trade of the week, I guess? Who are you getting out? Joel Selwood could be one. Um, I should have sold him last week, potentially. I only read this morning coming in that he, he could be spending some a little bit more time in the forward line. And if that's the case, um, that could be just the push over the edge that I need to finally get him out of my team. Um, he, he probably will be one of the last upgrades. I've got six trades left, so I'm, I'm, I don't have to get him out just yet. But um, for me, he might be the last one out. It could be this week. We'll, we'll just have to see. I've got my eyes on guys like Rocky, uh, Dane Beams still. A, a lot of people have got him. So I could move Selwood onto someone like a Beams um, or a Rockliffe as well. So those two guys are on my radar for now. Um, I've got, got, got a little bit of flexibility. If I can get the cash available, I see Calhoun's been named again. If he can just climb once or twice more, um, then I'm going to be able to try and get, uh, is it Pickham? Is that the bloke that I keep going on about? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he's been absolutely killing it there for the dog. So a couple of targets there for me. Very good. Uh, Colhoun train, he got 30 plus touches in the reserves he last week. He killed it, yeah, last week in the, in the reserves. He's the last man named on the interchange. So we'll have a look at game day, but hopefully you can get a full game in. Um, his break even now has been minus 16 for the last couple of weeks being on the bench. So hopefully you can have a put in a good performance. You're probably lucky they lost that showdown, uh, given that they lost and they need to now, I guess, they need to win every game to make the finals and they could even start playing the kids a bit more. Exactly. So bit of it could an work in your favour. Uh, all right, let's discuss your team, Rawls, the You Buddy Beauties. Do we have and to? Listen to this. You will notice from the tone of Rawls' voice this week, he threw in the towel and refused to look at it up until <laughs> we had to actually re- record the podcast and he actually had to have some comp- content for us to bring to the table. It doesn't so, look any better than I thought it would. <laughs> so 2,130 points. You were in the hunt for overall for a long time earlier this season. 3,200 is your ranking now. Let's start with a little bit of a wrap-up of the last two weeks. Last two weeks haven't been good for me. Uh, injuries, chasing my tail, trying to stay up there in the overall, and it just hasn't worked out. Um, made a sit decision about three or four weeks ago to, in my rucks to go a point of difference in Blixavs instead of Goldstein, and that has come back to bite me massively, <laughs> especially after uh, it was a Thursday night game or Friday night game. With the uh, the 200 plus from Goldstein, I did not look at my result for the rest of the weekend. It really rattled you, didn't filthy. it? Yeah, <laughs> it was season over. Particularly when in our little group text, JL and I are floating around text messages about how we successfully BC loopholed him. Uh, yeah, tough times. But what about who brought the mustard for you? That there was some great scores in amongst that team. Uh, I had a couple of good scores. Obviously, the great man being back with 190 was a. Fantastic performance, but Deledio's probably been my shining light the last few weeks. He had another 140 this week and has been absolutely on fire there for Richmond, playing a fair bit of half forward, kicking a few goals and, and roaming through the midfield at the same time. He's absolute super coach gold. Yeah, and what a player he is. Like In terms of that result for them, Deledio, in that last, I think he kicked three goals, and in the last quarter in particular, he, he really ran right and made made that team get over the line in, in what was a big occasion. Uh, what about for you, I mean, you got Ablett, you both got Ablett this week. I missed that boat, and, and now I'm going to have to actually pay more this week as well as make a downgrade. So burning two trades to get the great man in, but 17 tackles last week. That is a real indication that he's back because when, when he was struggling earlier in the year, Tom Rockliffe also 17 tackles. 
earlier in the year, Big both of the, both of those guys really struggled to even lay a tackle, let alone 17. Well, that was career best for Gaz. I think they were saying that his career best before that was 14. So any questions that we had about him um, staying? We definitely saw him lay off a few weeks ago in his first maybe quarter and a half back uh, for footy. He wasn't um, as aggressive around the ball, but 17 tackles two weeks later is as good a sign as any that um, as well as his super coach scores it, he's back to his best. Yeah, very good. What about who left it at home for you, Rawls? Well, plenty to choose from. Plenty to choose from. Very disappointed in McGovern again getting the the red vest and making a forty three. He's out for a few weeks, Uh, and then he can chuck. What's he priced at at the moment? He is three hundred and thirty (laughs) five grand. He could go sideways to Brody Smith. I've already got him. (laughs) (laughs) He made fifty on the weekend for me, and he's three hundred and twenty one grand. Malcheski. Uh, yeah, no. I don't is there think a chance so. that you upgraded uh, Adam Oxley to Jeremy McGovern at some point this year? No, I brought oh. I brought McGovern in from someone in the forward line, oh, okay. and then moved him to the yeah. back line. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's been very disappointing week. I had to play Maynard as well with side being out, um, which didn't work so well this week for me. I only had forty four, so there's three in my back line right there being very disappointing. Fair enough. And what about, is Saad being named this week? He hasn't. So no. I've got to play around with it again. And looks like Maynard's going to get another chance. <laughs> <laughs> because At least my, you, buddy beauties. my other two on the sidelines are Hamling and Fields, who also both mm. aren't playing. So yeah. Yeah. I'm in dire straits. Tough times for the you, buddy beauties. But finals around the corner. There's always the head-to-head situation. But having burnt so many trays trying to chase overall, that always makes it tough. Uh, what about in terms of rage trades and, and things like that you just spoke about McGovern and Saad uh, are you looking to make any other moves other than that? Well yeah, I haven't got many moves left to make so <laughs> it's, it's definitely going to be McGovern out um, trying to get in someone decent at the back there so I don't know who I'll be able to afford yet I might even go Hamling down and try and make some cash there um, to some, a cheap, cheap defender who's playing and that way I can get McGovern up to hopefully somewhere near a Hodge. It'd be nice. <laughs> that oh, would be you, good. Oh, you know, I don't even, oh, you missed. You let that both go a couple of weeks ago, did you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Ouch. No yeah. Heath Shaw, no Hodge hurting mm. at the moment. But yeah. there's a long way to go. Too busy trying He's to cover the uh, Rory Sloan injuries throughout yeah, the year. Yeah, multiple Rory Sloan injuries. He's back this week. Plus Wines, plus Rockliffe, plus Oh, crime. <laughs> We've all dealt with a few injuries this oh, year, that's on, for mate. sure. What about Rory Sloan named again this week? Surely you get yeah, him back great. in. No. It's cheap. Must be cheap. No, unless they've changed him to a defender. <laughs> I'm not getting him in. Fair enough. All right, my team this week, 2,470 after going 2,500 plus last week, 2,470 this week. That was 33,000th and 16,000th overall for the last two weeks. And I've gone backwards in rankings. <laughs> Tough times. But uh, yeah, I was relatively happy. A, a few big scores. Brody Smith, like you said, JL, is the person who really left the, the, the mustard at home for me. Uh, I'm re- I had really locked him in as my D6 for the remainder of the year, and now I'm having to reconsider. Uh, Batcher Hooley is really disappointing me. Uh, after one big hundred after bringing him in, mm. he's gone 60-60 the last two weeks. Uh, and, for some, and he was looking like getting a lot less until he came good in that last quarter. So uh, apart from that, uh, I missed the Ablett train which is probably my leaving the mustard at home this week. I've had a stinker there, letting him go. But I'm bringing him in this week for a little bit of extra coin. Uh, but the people who brought the mustard for me, my two rucks combined for almost 400 points. 
Big Source Jacobs 162 yep. and Goldstein 221. It's almost more than I got. <laughs> that really made the difference in terms of winning my head-to-head matchups and in terms of my overall ranking, it probably was the difference between me holding rank and going back significantly. So uh, one to keep an eye out for this week, lads. Uh, who, who are the VC options for you guys? Uh, question without notice. But yep. for me, I've got Jared Ruffett in my forward line. He kicked five goals against the Swans last week. They play Carlton on Friday night. I think it could be a route, and Ruffy is my VC. JL? I'm looking at Gary at 2.10 tomorrow at the Adelaide Oval. Uh, just another reason to watch that game. You guys know I've got a bit of a man crush on Danger, so any time I get to watch him play at the Adelaide Oval, um, especially him against Gaz. So for me, it's going to be Gary tomorrow uh, against Adelaide. Yeah, I think I'll be the same Gary tomorrow and loop all in with Hamling. Uh, maybe punches plenty, out another 130 back. plus. Yeah, I've got plenty <laughs> of non-players, so I can pretty much take anyone. Yeah, fair enough. And, and captain options yeah. this week, if, if the VC fails, for me, it's going to be Ablett uh, as my backup. Uh, I think Rockliffe is a, is a good option. Uh, Fife has been down of late, uh, averaging 87 over the past three weeks. Uh, is he the reliable captain option that you can lock in every week that he once was? No. I'll be going Robbie Gray. Over Fife? Yeah. I think I still would be happy to lock in Fife. I think, I, think it's def- I think it's definitely a safe option, um, but I, I think Robbie Gray's been in pretty decent nick. I've watched him a little bit more closely since I brought him in um, only a fortnight ago, and I like the way that, um, the way that he's been playing. Fife, I've spoken about, we've spoken about on the show, that Fremantle have had a really tough run of it, um, and if he gets 140 and Robbie only gets 110, then so be it. But then, and then for me, I'll be back on the Fife train next week, but... Robbie Gray's fit and firing, playing Essendon as well. Um, Freo, I've got the tr- Freo, I've got a, the bit more of trouble from Perth over to to the MCG. So um, I'll be getting on Robbie Gray on Saturday night. I think I'll uh, leave Fife alone this week after he's burnt me the last two, and go with Pendles as my captain back up this week um, against the Bulldogs. I think it'll be a tight and con- contested game, and hopefully we'll get a lot of those contested possessions and really make a difference. Okay, let's just run through a few of the most traded in players for this week. Uh, Now, I'm just going to run through some names and then I'll let you guys give us a bit of a reflection on anyone you'd steer clear of or anyone you're looking to get in. Now, number one on the list, G Ablett, that makes sense. Uh, I'm going there. I think most people who don't own him will have to buy him this week or acknowledge the fact that they're not going to get him in at any point. Uh, Now, second, third and fourth on the list, we have Riley Knight. Uh, Jake Collajasny and Hugh Goddard, three cheapies. Yep. Uh, pick of the bunch. Who would you be looking at, Roars, If you are doing a backfield, uh, a backline downgrade, who would you be going, Collajasny or Goddard? Well, I've already got Goddard. <laughs> I brought him in probably four weeks ago yep. as a downgrade. As a, a, well, hoping he'd, he'd play at some stage, which he is now. Um, Look good so, on debut, 72 points. Yeah, so that, that was a good move. One of my better ones for the year. Maybe you could swing him for McGovern and play him on the field. That is an option too. That is, a, that is a big Roar's option. Just, so. Big white bulb's just gone off in Roar's head there. Yeah, I've got a few hours to think about it. Now, seeing it's the first time I've looked at it this morning for the week, um, I've really got to knuckle down for the next few hours and make sure I make the right choices. So I'm not going to let you know just yet. Or, you, oh, could, or right. you could do a JL and leave tonight's game and then do some panic trades tomorrow at about 1.30. 
So let's get back to the actual question here. Collar Jasney or Goddard, if you're going to backline downgrade, who would you go? So pretend you don't own him. I'll go Goddard. Okay. So you've already got him. I, I like the... We've spoken a few times about KK potentially for next year, so I'm assuming these two blokes are brothers. Um, obviously <laughs> comes from a good paddock. Pretty so common I'm, name. I'm last name. <laughs> he, he actually looked quite good the other day, yeah. um, Collar Jasney, so... He wouldn't be a bad option either. Yeah, I think I, I'd, I'd like a little bit of a something a little bit more unique, so I'll probably go with JK. And what about Riley Knight? Uh, this young fella from Adelaide made his debut. Uh, the last thing that Phil Walsh said to him was that he was going to make his debut in the showdown. Uh, and, and he played quite well, and he scored well in his two games. He didn't score as well second game, but he had some quality touches, uh, uh, kicking a goal, and being involved in some important scoring moments. So uh, if you needed a forward mid downgrade, I think he's probably the only one that's popped up over the recent weeks. Yeah, I think at this time of year, you're not picking them to get any points out of them, only cash out of them really, you're just picking them for cover. So um, if they're going to average 60 to 70, that's probably going to do you if you really need to play them on field. So I don't think it's a huge uh, issue who you choose because they're all going to be about the same. Yeah, and lastly, let's just discuss Hodge, Malcheski, and Heath Shaw. Two guys Jeez. for you, Hodge and Shaw, that you would want to get in, Rawls. Uh, JL, you and I both own those two, but what about Malcheski? Uh, you boys give me stick about when I talk about him being... Harvey Norman. A, a Ray, a Ray, no interest, mate. No interest. Uh, a Ray Ricer type, you know, a person of the past. In the last two weeks, he's gone 90-90, uh, seemingly performing better when there's stronger players around him. Uh, his disposal efficiency has improved significantly. Uh, boys, would you go there? Roars, you've got a similar price guy you've got to get rid of this week. Would you go sideways to Malcheski? No chance. <laughs> no chance this week. No chance for this year. Perhaps if he finishes the year strongly, you'd look at him for next year if he's, as he, if he's still at a decent price, but I just can't can't go there too risky yeah fair enough and I, for me personally i would look at it if i was in dire straits and i only had one trade to use uh between 330 which is about the Brody smith price and about 420 i think mal is probably the best value for money grant birchall probably around that 400k mark is probably next after him so uh definitely some stuff to think about there thanks for listening uh this week sorry we've missed the last couple and we'll endeavour to get back to two or three chats per week. We'll include our NRL uh, and cricket wraps again next week. So uh, you can find us on at BringTheMustard on Twitter and BringTheMustard.com.au on our website. Boys, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Len. Thanks, Len. Cheers. Cheers.